say hello to Floyd Little and Jim Brown, Sean Tucker in the orange record books with his fifth touchdown of the game. All across CNY. Kick the tires and light the fires, Big Daddy. It's the 315. Hardy faking feeds the great Jameson. He scores! Here's Brian Higgins. Hey, everybody, welcome in on this Tuesday in the Cuse. The ACC tournament starting right now. Now, I tell you, now. Act accordingly. I'm not sure one how acts accordingly in the scenario where there's a 12-13 game going on uh, right now. We're all, we're all into that. May have to do some coordination. Um, hey, Jordan, put the uh, go put the... The TVs of the office on ACC Network. Then I'll turn it on and then I'll have to pay attention uh, to the game nobody cares about and we'll give you updates. Updates that you don't care about only here on ESPN Radio Syracuse and QSportsTalk.com. Wherever you want to be, you could be in Greensboro. Thank goodness Syracuse isn't playing today. The, I'm just telling you, man, like the day one of these five day conference tournaments, it is a grim affair. It's also weird, though, like when you go with these things and if you cover one of the teams that is stuck toward the bottom of the league or, or whatnot, like and you just happen to be at the tournament the whole time or give or take, how much the uh, the the population the changes of the arena of fan bases and media and the, the whole thing. It was it was always stark back in the the women's Big East tournament days where, you know, you, you sh- it was kind of the opposite there. Like the day one was maybe grim and tell the, the orange got stuck in like the nine sixteen game in the. Big East tournament, like three straight years or something. So you're showed up to for a blowout to get ready for round two. The Orange did not get stuck in the 16 part of that game. And then, like, since you're at the Hartford Civic Center, the XL Center at the time, you're like, oh, everyone's happy and cheerful, even though it's the grim days of the tournament. And then it just got more and more Yukon as the uh, as the days went along. It's kind of the opposite flow at the ACC tournament. Actually, builds up. Like at the Big East tournament, you're like, oh my god, there's too many Yukon people here. Get me out. But uh, it go, goes the other way at the ACC tournament. Like, day one like this, it's it's grim. It is grim. Because, realistically, I mean, today is going to be the last day of the season for three teams. And, for the most part, three teams that probably can't wait to get to it uh, fast enough. Like, you, you think Louisville really is psyched to play tomorrow? <laughs> or, you know, the way the Florida State season or Georgia Tech season is gone? Like, somebody's going to win the game. Uh, the only... Real one today is the nightcap, the seven o'clock game. You know, it's two teams that had disappointing seasons, but you'd think that Mike Bryan crew would like his career to go one more day. And Virginia Tech was the team that wanted to run uh, last year from the seven slot, but they're in the eleven uh, this year. But like the the afternoon games, grim, grim affairs. You're in the eight nine game tomorrow if you're Syracuse. It's full of hope and possibilities or something. You play today, ooh. Not as fun. Not as fun. But uh, we digress. We'll talk a lot of ACC tournament on the show today. I want to get into the the awards. And uh, I, I don't know if there's what really to make about it, but there were three Syracuse players that could have been awarded in one way or another with all conference teams or defensive or rookie uh, whatnot with Jesse, Judah, and Joe. Uh, the first two did, and the third one did not. Intrigued how it kind of came out that way. I, I don't know if we're going to have to go on a not 10 bleeping games overrated rant, but we're, we're like verging on that territory. It's more of a 
more of a head scratcher than than anything else, but it's also a numbers game and um, a Mason Dixon line thing and the, the whole thing. So we we may scratch the surface on that uh, coming up. It is franchise tag deadline day for the New York Football Di- Giants and Daniel Jones. It's two oh four. The deadline is four o'clock for uh, Danny Dimes to either sign on the dotted line or. To get franchise tagged, we'll talk to Charlotte Carroll of The Athletic, one of their Giants beat reporters, coming up at uh, 2.30. 2.30. Probably nothing will have happened by 2.30, but she can update us on uh, where we're at and where things may be proceeding over the course of uh, the day. So we'll uh, check in with Charlotte coming up in half an hour or so. Terrence Oglesby, our guy T.O., joins the show at 3, talking some college hoops here the field of 68 and basketball broadcast, wherever you may uh, find them. We'll talk to Terrence about this uh, upcoming ACC tournament. He's covered the league a lot, but he also covers uh, the nation. So, you know, we'll, we'll hit ACC for sure. But I'm intrigued for uh, Terrence's thoughts on, on kind of two things. All right, like where are we at nationally? Who Like if you're going to pick and watch a couple of teams in major conferences this week, who does he think you should watch just to be familiar with them heading into the NCAA tournament? Either, you know, favorites to win the tournament or teams he likes or whatever. And, man. Championship week here. There's five conference title games tonight. Auto bids going out. Likely single bid leagues for the most part, save the uh, West Coast Conference tonight with the Zags and St. Mary's. A- out of these teams, all right, who do we who do we need to keep our eyes on for potential bracket busting in the next week for potential upset picks? Uh, we'll do all that, and maybe we'll hit the phones. The same twenty-two people call. Yeah, maybe one of you guys can call at three one five four three seven seventy six forty four, or somebody that's not. On the list of 22. Anyway, phone lines will be open uh, in and around our interviews uh, today with Charlotte Carroll and Terrence Oglesby. But I want to start with um, the ACC awards. And I don't I don't vote on the men's awards, and I, I voted on the women's awards for many years. I still don't get, for one, why they do the men's differently from the women's. It, it's, it's just convoluted how they come up with the differences to these things. Like the women have a first team of 10 players and the second team of five. And the men have a first, second, third team of five each. Like what, what do we, why, why neither here nor there, but Syracuse, as far as the awards voting this year was put into an interesting spot. There's 15 players. They get officially honored first, second or third team. And then there, depending on the year, there's a handful of honorable mentioned players all league this year. There were nine. So 24 total players. There are 15 teams in the league. Now, there's no rule saying every team must be representative, but very often, not all of them, but a good chunk of the teams get at least somebody. So there is a numbers game. And if you are the eighth best team in the league, as the Orange finished this year, the odds are you're not getting multiples. So how in the world are the voters going to decide between Jesse, Judah, and Joe? Uh, for these things. And just, you know, let's peel back the curtain. Like, the way I feel a lot of people vote on these things. You cannot watch every game. Literally impossible. Uh, and for the uh, the men's awards, there are 75 voters. It's the 15 head coaches and 60 other voters involving media members, radio types, SIDs, uh, whatever. But very often, and a lot, you know, there's some national types involved, but a lot of the the voters for these awards, either they're coaching a team or have somebody that's associated with them that's filling out the coach's ballot or 
strongly advising the coach's ballot, or people that cover teams, and then a few people that look at the conference at large. So very often you're making your judgment based on uh, two things. When you saw somebody play versus the team that you cover, let's call it three things. When you saw somebody play versus the team that you cover, the other games you happened to catch on TV that when you were sort of paying attention, and whipping out the stats for the league while you're doing your vote. Like, for those that think this is, uh, you know, advanced physics, it's not. But I was intrigued to see how it ended up with the, the order of Syracuse players receiving votes being Jesse the most, Judah second, Joe third. Because it depends how you look at the stats where you're going to pick and choose from. Because I'd say all of them, Jesse, Judah, Joe, if you cover, pick a random team in the league, there was a pretty even-ish chance that any one of the three was the one on Syracuse that played the best against another ACC team. Let's say that was about reasonably evenly distributed, give or take, reasonably even. Then when you go look at the stats... And not everybody does this, but I, I like to uh, look at both the overall stats for the season and then conference-only stats when I do this to get a sense. I mean, sometimes people go crazy non-conference and then fall apart uh, during the league. Or opposite, I like to just give a quick glance to see if there's any you know complete outliers in that, just to you know absorb that, see if it has anything meaningful when I look at it. Well, Joe Girard is top five in the league in scoring over the course of the whole season, and he was second. Uh, to Wake Forest's Tyree Appleby in scoring in ACC games. And not that I'm saying, oh, Joe Girard must be on an all-conference team. But I found it weird that a guy, usually when people are parsing stats and voting for these things, like the eyes go to scoring first. And Joe scored more than Judah. <laughs> scored more than Jesse. You know, Jesse's up there in uh, shot blocking. Obviously, Judah's up there in steals. So they all had their moments and other things. And Jesse finished second in the the defensive player of the year vote. Judah finished second in the freshman of the year vote. Maybe those two categories led to more attention on them. But it seems strange to me when you look at those three. Now, I know as Syracuse people, we watch all the games, and uh, everybody has their opinion on Joe. I get it. Uh, Clearly, we, we are more opinionated on the matter and knowledgeable on the matter than other people that cover the league. I would have just assumed that the votes would have been split between those three almost equally. And it was not the case. It was clearly Jesse, then clearly Judah, and then Joe did not even appear in the top 24. I'm assuming he got more than zero votes, but they got a cutoff honorable mention uh, somewhere, or else uh, you or I might have been honorable mention all ACC this year. So I just found that very peculiar. You know, like, I, I get it. Like the Syracuse fan base, there, there are Joe detractors out there for sure. Like, does that carry over to the rest of the league? Usually you get to the end of the year and you're voting on stuff like this. Are you, are you remembering that one guy was not great at defense? It, it find it weird that it feels like a lot of the things that Joe is not good at would not necessarily factor into how these awards get voted on. So I, I found that uh, peculiar. Also, Syracuse, not that Syracuse necessarily deserved more uh, this year as an eighth-place team in the league, but uh, historically, on the men's and women's side of things, since the Orange joined the ACC, I have found that they have always been about a rung lower uh, than usual, save for the pleasant 
as she should have been, but it was still a pleasant surprise when Alexis Peterson was the player of the year in the league back in 2017 on the women's side. But that, that popped out. That popped out. I'd say, is it the biggest deal in the world? No. But I would have guessed that the voting for those three specifically, that the Orange were going to get one all-league member, and I would have bet, based on how things went in the league and how it was spread out pretty evenly, that the votes would have been a lot closer for those three. A lot closer. And instead, not. So maybe Joe. Joe's got a... Did Jerry pack one up? Jerry's still got to have an overrated shirt somewhere, right? I would feel really good about the upcoming week and Syracuse's chances for making some noise and doing some damage in Greensboro if Joe Girard was warming up for the game wearing a vintage 2006 Jerry McNamara overrated shirt. That would be awesome. Showmanship, people. That would be cool. Tie it all together. 20th anniversary of the tournament. Jerry's jersey retired. Joe Girard snubbed. Snubbed, I say. Break out the overrated shirts. Someone's got to have a box of them somewhere. Jerry's got to have one somewhere, right? That would be a great moment tomorrow. Well, the tournament's uh, the tournament's on. Florida State, Virginia Tech is is game one. It's going right now. Four thirty game. Boston College in Louisville. Ooh, that's grim. That is grim. Like it, it didn't. It wouldn't have taken that much going differently on on Saturday for for that to be Syracuse playing Louisville. So thank goodness. And then uh, Virginia Tech and Notre Dame seven o'clock the nightcap. It's vaguely intriguing. Though, big picture doesn't really matter uh, at all. Be very interested to see how this tournament shapes out. Who, who, who needs it most? I'd say Clemson, Carolina too. But Carolina's uh, actual needing things and ability to do anything about it have been pretty different of late. Clemson, they need it, and they've shown the ability to do something about it. They're on the bottom half of the bracket as the three seed. Duke is favored to win the tournament. They're probably playing the best or co-best with Miami in the league right now. Be interesting to see what happens. Who needs it? Like Duke always seems to win these things. Can they do it in John Shire's first year? Wouldn't that be like there's storylines about can Miami win a tournament? Isaiah Wong is the player of the year beating the leader in points and assisted Tyree Appleby. Can Virginia win another? Just suffocate people with their defense for the next three days. Starting on Thursday, what's going to happen? And most importantly, can Syracuse, I'm not going to say can Syracuse win the tournament. It's highly unlikely. Highly unlikely. Eventually, you'd have to beat in the semis probably either Duke or Pittsburgh. I think we all know the drill. That doesn't seem the most likely scenario going forward. But can Syracuse give a representative effort? Two weeks of doom and gloom. Win the Wake Forest game. Go beat them again. You didn't win the Wake Forest game by fluke. Go do it again. Go beat them. And then go go take a crack at Miami. Go give them a real shot. Go play a real basketball game. I think that's about a reasonable level of uh, what we can ask uh, this week. And then, you know, roll the dice and see what comes. But it would be nice to finally make a run for once in the ACC tur- tournament. The Orange have never won more than one game in any ACC tournament in which they've partaken, which has been eight uh, to this point after not playing in the 2015 one. They have won a game in the last four straight after not winning a game in their first four ACC uh, tournaments. Took a minute for Syracuse after joining the league to win a tournament game of any kind. 
We'll see if the Orange can keep that streak going. Win a game? Maybe two. Why not? Why not? I don't know if the Orange can win the hearts and minds of Greensboro like they so often did in Madison Square Garden now more than a decade ago. Shed a tear for that. But maybe this week. Maybe Joe Girard. Joe, get the overrated shirt. Do it. I know that didn't happen until after Syracuse won the first game the last time. That'd be fun. Jim Beheim, like, Joe has a big game tomorrow and just Jim goes up and plays the hits. Not 10 bleeping votes for the all-conference team. Let's go. Let's do it. Let's go into the archives. Let's bring out the hits, whether this be the last time or not. Play the hits, Jim. Go out strong. With that, we'll take a break. Uh, maybe a, a little talk on uh, Daniel Jones when we come back or your call. So 315-437-7644. Definitely some uh, Danny Dimes, Saquon Barkley, and New York football Giants talk coming at, at 3.30 with Charlotte Carroll. Terrence Oglesby, college basketball chat at 3. That's the show. There's the show today here on QSportsTalk.com and ESPN Radio. Watch your favorite ESPN Syracuse sports talk shows on QSportsTalk.com. <laughs> All across Central New York, it's the 315. Here's Brian Higgins. Here I am. Here we are. We're rolling along here today. NFL franchise tag deadline coming up in T-minus 47 minutes and 16 seconds. So something happens with Daniel Jones, and then maybe we can stop thinking about it for a second. I don't know. I don't know. We're watching. We're waiting. It's a lot of talk about Danny Dimes. He's going to get a lot of dimes. They should pay him in dimes. New theory. That would be heavy. It would be the heaviest payday of all time if Daniel Jones got paid in dimes. Anyway, time now for this. Here's the 411. Hello, and welcome to Movie Phone. If you know the name of the movie you'd like to see, press 1. <laughs> oh, wait, you serious? Let me laugh even harder. In the 315. So you're going to be doing that all week, right? Nah. Oh, yeah. It's time for the 411 in the 315. All right, Tim is here. We don't pay Tim in dimes. That would be aggressive. (laughs) Uh, What's going on, Tim? What do we got? What's cooking today? I got a couple things. I got some lacrosse notes, which we will get to. Okay. But let's start out with this. Marcus Adams, who is a Syracuse basketball 2024 target. So not this upcoming year, but the year after. Yep. He has announced that tonight he is going to pick between UCLA, Kansas, and Syracuse and make his college decision. I think it's very unlikely he does pick Syracuse, from what I've gathered it on sounds, this topic. Sounds like UCLA is the lean. Is yes. that what I've heard out on the on the streets? Yep. He is also deciding at 9.15 tonight. Now, he is a California guy, but it'll be 6.15 Pacific time, of course, out there okay. when he makes that decision on Instagram Live, if you want to watch, okay. with uh, Joe Tipton, the edits guy. I guess it's going to be... On there with him doing the Instagram live. So we'll have a sweet edit of his yeah. release. I can uh, guarantee you that. I'm sure Joe knows where he's going right <laughs> yeah, now. He had to edit it. <laughs> yeah. Or his people. Maybe he's got people doing all the work. Yeah. Maybe they did all three and they're, he's going to hit play on one. Right. And remember, the Orange do have Elijah Moore as a commit in 2024 already. He's a 6'8", 200-pound wing who is the number 29 overall prospect according to 24-7 Sports. So it would be a terrific get. 
I think it's pretty much down to UCLA and Kansas, though, and it's looking like UCLA, like you were saying. Here's all I want. Like, don't, like, do the tats on the table. Don't fake out with the Q-set. Yeah. No, I don't like that. It's nice to be, like, it's a good group to be in, Kansas, UCLA, that's a good group. Mm-hmm. But don't, like, I don't I don't like the hat fake out when your team is the one that's always getting hat faked out. I feel like they aren't trying to run of being the fake out hat. That is true. There's There's been a couple recently, no, for sure. I don't like that. Yeah. There was one I feel that happened in football. Like, it was a guy that, po- I forget the dude's name. And I said this at the time. I said, I will now forget his name for all time. I have accomplished that. Was it the pit running back? Uh, no, it was, uh, I think the guy went to Nebraska. I think oh, okay. it was uh I think he was from Jersey and went to Nebraska. Does that sound right? Does that guy exist? Um Yeah. Did that pit running back, the name's escaping me, did something. It was like he flashed a Syracuse shirt oh. and then uh, no, this it was guy, one, yeah. I feel it happened during my show. Someday it was like signing day and we were watching and like everyone knew he wasn't going to Syracuse, but he got the Syracuse fake hat fake hat fake. We had never heard of the guy until like the day and a half before. I'm like, and now he's doing this? No, so I've I've succeeded. Hey, guy, I forgot your name. Take that. Right. I'm sure he cares. As for lacrosse notes, we were talking yesterday about Will Mark's 27 save performance. It's a lot. It's certainly a lot. I did do some digging and realized that it was the most saves in a game from a Syracuse goalie since 1985 when Tim Nims recorded 28 saves back on March 3rd, 1985 against UNC. So you got to go back. It's in 1985 in terms of Syracuse history, and it's top 10 all-time in terms of Syracuse history, but 27 saves, most saves that you were saying you had not seen a game even close to that no. from a Syracuse goalie. No, I'd say the, the one I remembered off the top of my head was Pete Colaccini against Cornell in 07, where he had 22, and that was in a loss. Of course, Will had 27. That was in a loss. We like to mention any of the Nims clan. We're, we're good with any any Nims coming up. Shout out, where's Kenny Nims at in life? Shout out to Shout out to Kenny who uh, had the game-tying goal in the 9 uh, title game. Is that in the open? No, that's not in the open. We had the game-winning goal in the open, not the game-tying uh, goal. But, yeah, we like all the Nims, so it's it's fun to go back in the Q's record book. Mike Powell getting his jersey retired. Yeah. It's fun to look up all that stuff. What's your best Mike Powell story? What is my best Mike Powell story? I mean, I called the game where he did the move. Right. That, that was fun. He uh, didn't make that shot, right? No. It was a... It was a flip on full front flip while yeah. cradling, kept the ball. Why? He kind of he kind of worked himself into a position where it was his last home game. Like he ran out of time to do it, and like he just said, the fact that he pulled yeah. it off. I mean, the fact that he did it is just crazy. Uh, what's my best? Mike, here, here's this has nothing really to do with being good at lacrosse, but he always did this on like, like pre-practice media. We were like out by the field. And Mike would stand there for like forever taking questions. And, you know, like before, I don't know if they still do this with Gary. Probably. They always took like one lap of the field before they start practice. Yeah. Like as a as a group. Mike was very, very good at answering questions until that lap of the field had been completed. <laughs> <laughs> no, he was good. Mike, Mikey didn't need a lap. Yeah. He was right. Mike didn't need a lap. He didn't need anything. He didn't need anything else. He's still the best I've ever seen live. Yeah, I bet. Well, he's going to be retired on Saturday, and that's just a big game in general for Syracuse as well. So if you're looking to go to a game, I'd say that's one to go to, especially when you factor in, too, that they're not going to be at home for a little bit after this weekend. Uh, No, a bunch of home games in a row ending now. And hot, what's it, 4 o'clock? Yes, 4 o'clock. 4 o'clock Saturday pregame with Tim over on uh, TK with Kyle at 3.30. Yeah, now Hopkins, they've they've slid back, I think, kind of expected. But, like, if you're Syracuse, right, you have to go win the game. Yes. 
Like if you, you want to be an NCAA tournament team, you got to start winning some of these games against ranked teams. And if you get out of this home stand against three ranked teams that in theory you were probably hoping to go at least two and one to kind of stay inside the ranked NCAA tournament conversation, then it'd be disappointing if you went 0 3 in the home stretch for sure. Yeah. And, you know, for any, you know, Syracuse alums and whatnot, it'll be there for the Mikey thing. Like, you just got to be Hopkins for the sake of it. Otherwise, yeah. everyone will be annoyed, but I'm sure there'll be a, a good. Well, there'll be a lot of people named Powell in town for the weekend, I'm sure. So Casey was uh, tweeting about it that he'll be, he's got a camp or something going on uh, Saturday morning, uh, working around it. And obviously, Ryan's in town. And Mike, uh, clearly, Mike will be here for the. You never know with Mike. I assume Mike will show up for his own. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. Oh, man. Mike's an interesting dude, man. Mike is an interesting. He's either going to be there or he'll be in the woods. Like chopping down a tree, playing a guitar while cradling a lacrosse ball. Heck of a guitarist, right? No, he can legit like he can legit play, and he's a legit music. I've caught him. I don't think I've ever actually caught Mike on purpose, but I've randomly seen him play multiple times. Like, hey, I'm a dinosaur. What? What? Why is Mike Powell on the stage (laughs) playing music? I just came in to get a sandwich, and there's Mike Powell. Yeah, he's legitimately like a good musician. Huh? Yeah, I'd be interested, you know, in talking to Mike uh, through all this, like. And I get why he didn't really get into the pro lacrosse thing. It just wasn't it wasn't a legitimate um professional avenue at the time. Yeah. Like actually it wasn't a legitimate J O B. I know his brothers did it for uh forever, but they had to do eight million other things. Uh and they loved it and they did the eight million other things, and they, those guys are lax heads till the end of time. But Mike has eight million interests. If he was of the age now, like with the PLL rolling, man, he'd be a rock star in that league. For sure. In the flair that he played with. Oh, yeah. Just watching his highlights back, I was looking at it last week. It's unbelievable. It's it's kind of what this current team is trying to play like a little bit, too. And they're trying to get back to that with playing with that creative freedom on offense. But he was as good as anyone in terms of just a human highlight reel on a class field. Yeah. What the what the people need to remember, though, about Mike is he, you see all the highlights in that. He's also the best riding attackman I've ever seen. Like, he played his butt off. Yeah. He played, I mean, and he's... He's 5'10", a buck, whatever, dripping wet. I mean, he's not a big dude. Though, could, you know, like windmill dunk. I mean, he's a freak athlete. But, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, that'll be a really cool event uh, coming up on uh, Saturday. All right, Tim, uh, good stuff. Good stuff. Yeah. We'll be looking forward to that this week. And uh, hopefully, Will Mark doesn't have to make 27 more sets. Yes, that would be a positive for yeah, sure. <laughs> that would probably be problematic to have to do it again. All right, Tim Leonard, 4 on one in the 315. Back after this, your calls if you'd like at 315-437-7644. ESPN 44 is the number. Back after this, it's QSportsTalk.com, ESPN Radio. ESPN 97.7 and 100.1. Watch live on QSportsTalk.com. <laughs> This is the 315 with Brian Higgins. Alright, rolling along on the old program today. Talk a little ACC tournament. If you'd like to join in, you may. 315-437-7644 ESPN. 44 is the number. We'll have you covered uh, all day tomorrow. Obviously, the game uh, will be broadcast over on uh, TK99, but our coverage right here starts at uh, 11 o'clock in the a.m. with uh, pregame with Axe. I'll be here uh, around about 2. Fancy that. I'll be here around about 2. Doesn't that happen every day anyway? Yeah, but uh, we're going to call it the postgame show tomorrow when it happens uh, around about 2. Me and Chris Joseph uh, tomorrow. 
And then hopefully we'll just, you know, recap and do it again on Thursday with me and Chris Joseph after the game at two on Thursday as the Orange are in the 8-9 game here today. And we'll see if they got a run of them. They were same deal uh, last year when, you know, they, they made a little move and then Buddy punched a guy in the whole thing. What's going to happen this year? I'm still saying, Joe Girard, let's go. Let's try to let's try to wake up the echoes. Somebody get Joe a vintage 06 GMAC underrated shirt and have him wear it for warm-ups tomorrow. Just because that would be awesome. We're pro-awesome things happening. And maybe, you know, they, they channeled, they got a little 03 vibes into them. Over the weekend, now they need 06 Jerry vibes. That's the the vibes you need it. Somebody find the shirt, the shirt, load the shirt up with vibes, and uh, Joe can go warm up in that puppy uh, tomorrow before the game. But Houston Wake Forest will be uh, tipping off uh, tomorrow at uh, noon, and it's interesting because obviously with conference tournaments. There is always a, a chance you're going to play a team you just played. Why? Because you are going to end the season. You played a conference game. Uh, that's one of the 14 teams in the league. So, you know, you might play that same team again. It it doesn't happen a, a, a ton. Uh, Mike Waters had this stat uh, this morning when I was reading uh, and Mike was on Orange Nation earlier today. Uh, now, I, I don't think this stat is really meaningful at all, but it was interesting that in, in Jim Beheim's career, over the course of the Big East and the ACC, when they have gone back-to-back in this scenario, same team to end regular season and begin conference tournament, the Orange are 5-0 and all time. Ooh, history on their side. Now, I don't think there was anything about then winning the three games in a row after that to make a miracle run and make the NCAA tournament. Um, that sentence didn't follow. But 5-0 and all time, which does say a little bit something on coaching, right? When you're playing the same team uh, twice in a row of uh, preparing for them once, and regardless, win or loss. And it was not back-to-back wins every time. It was some. But I think there was at least one or two in those five where they turned a loss into a win uh, to end it. This time it would be a, a reasonably comfortable win. You won by nine, but you were not challenged in the second half. The other side of the coin is, when you win a game like that, you cannot change your strategy. That would not be smart. When you won and won convincingly, you kind of got to at least start the game going and doing the same thing because, you know, it worked. Why would you do something uh, different the next time out, like less than a week later? Where the other team, in theory, you'd think, would do something different. And the main thing Wake has in their pocket that they can do different in this game is uh, whatever the heck they did with Jesse Edwards which was uh, guarding him with one guy, and that one guy kept fouling him all game long. They might need to guard him with two guys. And then what do the Orange do in that scenario? We've seen uh, double teams against Jesse this year, depending on who the guys are, either be exceedingly effective or Jesse was able to handle it. Against teams with size and or great defensive skill, a.k.a. size and Duke and defensive skill in Virginia, Jesse didn't handle it great, though he did handle it better the second time around against Virginia. Wake doesn't have imposing size. Like the guys he got in foul trouble last game were tall, but they're like him. They're not they're not big dudes. They were tall, skinny guys. Jesse can deal with that. So we'll see if he can We'll see if he can uh, get out there and do it again. I'm not saying twenty seven and twenty again, but all right, Jesse, that's what dominating is like. Like Jim said it after the game 
Saturday evening that he feels Jesse's barely scratched the surface. Hint, come back next year. But when you toss out a 27-20 game, like he's only the 12th all-time 2020 game in Q's basketball history, and even fewer than that when you consider the amount of guys that did it uh, multiple times. Dave Bing, still the all-time leader with three of them. That that continues to blow my uh, fragile little mind that uh, Dave Bing, we think about scoring all, all them points, so tossed up three 2020 games in his career, and D.C. had a couple as well, and a, a few other guys on that list, Paul Harris being the most recent. But can Jesse go out and do it again? And then it sets up. Not that you should have a great shot against the number one overall seed in any tournament if you're in Syracuse's spot. But Miami, despite the fact they're playing gangbusters right now, their style of play, of wide open and stuff like that, feels like Syracuse has played well in games like that this year. In games that don't turn into plotting slugfests. The games that have a little freedom of movement, a little grace, and a little bounce in their step and the whole thing. It feels like those games have favored the Orange. I get it, Syracuse didn't beat Miami this year, but they should have won the game. So I'm saying, all right, that was at Miami. Get them on a neutral court and go beat them. Like, the path is there to the semis for the Orange. The path is also there to lose tomorrow. Like, Wake doesn't stink. I get it, they've had injuries, but they got a guy in Tyree Appleby that easily could have been the player of the year in the league. He finished second in that race to Isaiah Wong. Leads the league in scoring. Leads the league in assists. Look at what Appleby did the last game. He wasn't really doing anything. He had that crazy shot clock beating heave. Then that kind of got him going a bit. But he had seven turnovers. He was wild with the ball. I realize that's part of his game. He's uh, He plays a little crazy. Hair on fire. And that's the fun of watching him play. I hadn't really watched him a lot until Saturday. It's like, whoa, this guy... This guy appeals to the senses. But if he if he plays just a, a wee bit more under control, if Wake Forest, normally one of the best three-point shooting teams in the league, and they shot at 25% the last game from deep, they shoot their normal percentage, it's three or four more made threes, if they hit their normal numbers this game, well, all of a sudden the game hasn't changed basically at all, and now the Orange are in trouble. So it's a scenario where, all right, if everything happens exactly the same, yeah, the Orange win the game again. But if everything happens essentially the same again, the Orange could be in trouble with the, the same exact strategies being employed. We'll be very interested to see how that goes tomorrow. Again, the Orange didn't shoot it at all last game. They made just two threes. Wake did make 10. On a poor percentage, but made 10. Well, what if uh, what if the Greensboro Coliseum agrees with Joe Girard shooting strong? Or Chris Bell's? Or something like that. What if somebody hits some shots? Or Benny Williams? or I don't know. It's not exactly a long list we can draw on when it comes uh, to Syracuse this year. But what if... What if that happened? And just hopefully Syracuse makes a little run. Because, man, it was, it was grim. It was grim, wasn't it, over that two-week period? Losses all by 17 points, at least. Grim. It felt like a weight was lifted off of the program. And it wasn't just beating Wake Forest on Saturday. It was all that went along with it. It was the 03 stuff. It was everything that went along with that over the weekend that a weight was lifted. And we know that there will be decisions or whatever coming up this offseason with Jim Beheim and all that. You just hope they can be made not in the heat of crushing losses and depressing thoughts, but that those decisions can be made. All right, take the weight off, clear eyes. And figure it out. And having a nice performance this weekend, 
I'm thinking, you know, at least you, you go and do it with a clearer situation here and, you know, just put everyone around town in, in a good mood here going to the weekend. I don't think any of us are really dreaming crazy enough to think that the Orange are actually going to do this thing or should win four games in four days as the eight seed and win the tournament. No, that's that's a bridge too far. Could it happen? Sure. Is it likely? No, it's not. We saw Virginia Tech do it last year as the seventh seed, but they had been scalding hot for a month and a half at that point. They got fire back in like January last year and just never stopped. Like them winning the tournament last year as a seventh seed was surprising, but it wasn't like, whoa, where did this team come from? It was like, man, this team stunk at the beginning of the season, but they figured it out for two months and they're scalding hot and they finished it off. That's what it was last year. It'll be a different ball of wax uh, for the Orange uh, this year or for Virginia Tech this year, who's the 11 seed and is playing later on today. Well, it'll be an interesting tournament. Now, I hate to say this, and I, they're favored to win the tournament, not overwhelmingly so. Now, this is just gross to say out loud. I think Duke's going to win the tournament. Ugh. Picking Duke. Ooh. I don't, I, I, I don't feel good in my tummy making that pick right now. Like, could Miami win the tournament? Sure. Like, Clemson may need to win the tournament, which I half think is crazy, but we'll see. Good Carolina. Remember that they're actually good at basketball for the next four days? Yeah. Virginia winning with this any year? Sure. Pittsburgh slumming it at the five seed. They could have been the one seed if they won on Saturday. Yeah. But Duke is, they're playing really well recently. They have the most talent in the league when you look at rankings and all that stuff. And their talent is healthy right now. You know, the freshman of the year in the league and Kyle Filipowski, you could have easily argued for Judah Mintz. At minimum, they have the second-best freshman in the league in Filipowski, and the other guys are coming in around him now in a way that they haven't necessarily consistently over the course of the year. And they just have to win three to do it as the four seed. It is setting up, it seems like, in Greensboro, the whole thing. We've seen it eight million times before uh, for Duke to win the freaking ACC tournament. Ugh. Gross to say out loud, but that's uh, my vibe uh, today. I do think the Orange will win tomorrow, but we shall see. We'll be back at it uh, tomorrow. Right around uh, this time with the post-game show. Right now, we're still 13, less than 13 minutes away from the franchise tag deadline. Has anything happened with Daniel Jones? There's been no breaking news flashes. Nothing. One final update on that. What's on tap when we come back here as we wrap up the hour after this on QSportsTalk.com and ESPN Radio.